All right, we are studying the book of Jude here on Wednesday nights. So I'd love to have you uh, turn in your Bibles to Jude. It's the second to last book in the Bible right next to Revelation. Real short book if you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you. Page 1,405. We are taking our time as we go through this book. In our first two studies, we looked at two verses for each one of those studies. Tonight, I'm speeding up a bit. We're going four verses. So we're doing double time tonight. Jude chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. A few verses, but incredibly intense verses tonight. So Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom as we look at these verses. Lord, we live in a world that is so deceived and wicked and fallen, depraved. So wicked is this world that it finds offense in your holy word. There would be many who would be offended by your word. But Lord, we're not offended. We love that you have told us the truth. And we believe that your word are, in your word are words of life. That bring life and joy and meaning. So no matter what culture says, no matter what human philosophers say, no matter what media says, we're going with you. So I pray that you would help us understand these things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you remember last time together, Jude initially sat down to write a letter that was going to be a devotional type of letter. A letter concerning the common salvation that we all share as Christians. And it would have been a fantastic letter. But he changed course. He had to write an emergency letter. He wrote a letter calling Christians to action. He wrote a letter calling Christians to contend earnestly for the faith, fight for the faith, defend the faith, stay in the faith. And by faith, he means all of those essential doctrines that make up the Christian faith as contained and recorded in the New Testament. Keep that. Defend that. Contend for that. Now, why did he call us to that? Because the faith is under attack. There are ungodly, wicked, sneaky, false teachers that attack the faith. There are apostates that get into churches and lead people astray, trying to destroy lives, trying to lead people astray. And so Jude says, you need to get busy. You need to get in. You need to defend that faith. Apostasy is a terrible thing. In fact, God will judge apostates. People who rebel against God's truth, God's word, God's order, God's plan will be judged. And there are a lot of apostates that want to get people to do that. Now, the Bible does teach that the God of the Bible is holy and righteous and just. And he is a God who will judge unholiness, unrighteousness. Now, there's a lot of people that want to ignore that. They want to doubt that. They want to say, ah, oh, God, he's, he's not really going to judge. I've met people who have said, you know, Terry, the God I believe in is the one who wants me happy. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make me happy and God's going to be just fine. Now, wait a minute. God has a plan for life. God has absolutes. 
And God can and will judge. Now, there's people that take it lightly. The apostates in the book of Jude were probably saying, I don't worry about God's judgment. But Jude, in our text tonight, assures the readers that God will judge. And in fact, he even takes us back to three incidents in the Old Testament history where God judged. And Jude says, you better get serious about God's judgment. God's judged before, and he'll judge again. So look at these three incidents. Look at verse 5. Jude says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The Lord destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, those are sobering verses. Jude mentions three times that God judged people in the Old Testament. The time that he judged his own people, the chosen people, the nation of Israel. The time that he judged angels. And the time that he judged Gentiles living in Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's take each one of those at itself. Let's first talk about the judgment in verse 5. The Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now this is taking us back into the book of Exodus. The first half of the book of Exodus, speaking about a very important event in the history of Israel. Remember, they were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. They suffered. They cried out to the Lord. God heard their cry. God raised up Moses to deliver them. And God redeemed the nation of Israel in a fantastic way. Spectacular way. The ten plagues, the ten devastating plagues, turning the Nile River to blood, you remember that? And the gnats and the frogs. Can you imagine a plague of frogs like that? Darkness, hail, boils, and then, of course, the events on Passover night with the death of the firstborn. God delivered his people. And then you remember, Pharaoh followed them. They were right before the Red Sea. God opens the Red Sea. They cross miraculously across. The waters fall back over on the soldiers of Egypt. Spectacular miracle. God appeared to the nation of Israel by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Imagine that. God provided for the nation miraculously manna, water in miraculous ways. At one point, they end up at Mount Sinai and God shows up on the mountain in fire and thunder and lightning and they receive the law. God rescued them in dramatic ways. And God wanted to bless them. God wanted to lead them into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses and the people, they go, they get right to the border of the promised land. And that's when things go south. What happens? They send 12 spies into the land to scout out the land. You remember that? The spies come back. Ten of the spies say, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They even brought back beautiful 
samples of the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. Oh, it's scary. We don't think we can do it. Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, said, no, we can do it. In fact, Caleb says, let's go up at once, take possession. We're able to overcome it. God said we could do it. Let's go for it. But the ten spies continue. We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw giants. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. And like apostates, false teachers who spread their apostasy, the apostasy spread. The congregation listened to those ten spies. And everyone who had come out of Egypt in that first generation, they're like, no, we can't go in. Joshua and Caleb continued, no, we can. Let's go. Let's go. And it says in the book of Numbers that they picked up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb to death. They wanted to get rid of Moses. And so... After rescuing them and redeeming them from Egypt and then bringing them to the promised land, God judged them. As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. So God judged them. The first generation that was redeemed out of Egypt, God rescued them, saved them, showed them his power in incredible ways. Yet they get right up to the edge of the promised land. They refused to go in. And so God said, okay. That first generation wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until everyone 20 years of age and older at the time died in the wilderness. They missed out on everything that God had for them. So Jude says, if God would judge his own people, for apostasy in the Old Testament. He'll judge you for apostasy. He'll judge you. You take the judgment of God seriously. Now what sin were they guilty of? Well, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. God judged them for unbelief. They should have believed. God had told them, I'm giving you the promised land. It's yours, go. But they let false teachers, apostates, fill them with fear. And because they allowed that, they didn't go in. And so God will judge those people who are of unbelief. Now, in the Old Testament, the promised land is symbolic of a couple things. First, it can be symbolic of heaven. Getting into heaven. Now, how do you get into heaven? Through faith. Believing in what God has done. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. And he rose again the third day. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will enter the promised land. You will enter heaven. If you don't, you won't enter heaven. And it's always sad to me when I think there's a lot of characters in the scripture. They get so close, right there to the edge of the promised land. They see God move, and yet... Somehow they get ripped off, they get deceived, 
How many people have the gospel preached to them? God does amazing things in their life to woo them unto himself. Testimonies of other people in their life. And they get right to the edge. And yet they don't receive Christ. It's not real. And gang, that will incur judgment. Faith in Christ will bring salvation. Now the promised land also speaks of the victorious Christian life. It's symbolic of that. It's living in this abundant life. This fruitful, meaningful life that God has for you. See, God doesn't want to just save you. He wants to bring you into this wonderful life called abundant life. And fruitful life. And living according to his plan. And doing what he wants from you. And that requires faith. And that requires staying in the faith. Abiding by the New Testament. Obeying the commands in scripture. Growing in the Lord. Apostates are always out there to sidetrack you, to get you off the right track, to get you running bunny trails. Listen, you can be a Christian and spend your whole life as a Christian doing laps in a spiritual desert wasteland. Or you can live a life of fruitfulness and adventure. In the promise, and the difference is faith. God honors your faith. Step out in it. And my brother and sister in Christ, listen, this is an all-life deal. We are to exercise our faith and live according to the faith for the rest of our life. To our last breath. Finish well. Endure. Johnston Jeffrey tells of a great man who absolutely refused to have his life story written before his death. Why? He said, I've seen too many men fall on the last lap. John Wesley warned, let therefore none presume on past mercies as if they were out of danger. Listen. God has this wonderful life that he wants you to live. And you need to seek him throughout this life. Don't get deceived. There is a way to live. No matter how long you've been a Christian. Keep going. So, the children of Israel. How about the angels? Verse 6, the second story. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So Jude says God at one point judged his own chosen people. God has also judged angels. Like angels that were created, that were in heaven. Now, what is, what, what is Jude speaking about? What are these angels? Well, there's two possibilities. Some believe that Jude is speaking about the fall of Satan. And the rebellion in heaven before we were created. Way back at the beginning. God created all the heavenly angels. And we know that he created one special angel who was like the chief angel. Guy by the name of Lucifer, right? The worship leader. The chief angel. Ezekiel 28 tells us about him. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. That's Lucifer. As originally created. 
You were perfect, though, till what? Till iniquity was found in you. What happened? Isaiah 14, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. You said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I also will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. No, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. What was the sin of Satan? He tried to usurp the position of God. He said, I will be like the most high. It was pride. He led a rebellion. God judged him. God cast him out. By the way, one-third of all of the angels of heaven joined Lucifer in that rebellion. So Satan was cast out. One-third of the angels became fallen angels or demons. God judged them, and God will judge them. So that could be what Jude is talking about. But we have a problem with that. Because it says in verse 6, he has reserved an everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day. These are specific angels that God has locked up. And they're not getting out. And they're locked up for hell. Now Satan has been judged. Many of the demons have been judged. They've been cast out. But they're not locked up. They still roam. Now, one day they will be cast into the lake of fire and judged. But right now, they're not in chains. So I don't think that Jude is speaking about that. I think he's speaking about another select group of demons. And I believe that Jude is shedding light on one of the most bizarre passages that you find in all of Scripture. I think he's speaking back to these horrific events that took place in the days of Noah right before the flood. And that story is found in Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men That they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Now this is quite a passage. That phrase, the sons of God, many times in the Old Testament, it will speak of men. But there are other times where it speaks of angels. In the days of Noah, right before the flood, when there was great wickedness on the planet, Angels saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and took wives for themselves. Now, not good angels, the fallen angels. Demons saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and took wives. Verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the demons came into the daughters of men, and they bore children. Now, we are not sure exactly what happened, but something very demonic And sexual happened in those days. There was a mix of demonic DNA and human DNA. Demons either took on the form of men and engaged in sexual relations with women, or, this is my opinion, Demons possessed men 
who then had sexual relations with women. And somehow, the offspring was corrupted so that giants were born to them, called the Nephilim in Hebrew. So you got something really, really demonic and sick happening in those days. The gene pool of the human race was being corrupted. Satan was attacking the human race in that way. And folks, that's one of the reasons why God wiped away the human race. That's one of the reasons why he gave the flood so that he could completely start over. Noah and his family didn't have a corrupted gene pool. So they get on the ark. God starts over with them. Now, these demons, or whatever they were, they remained active. It says in verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. So we know that there were a lot of giants and a lot of this activity going on before the flood. And then there was some of that activity even going on after the flood because the Israelites faced the Nephilim and the giants in the promised land. And David, by the way, faced a mean old giant by the name of Goliath. Some bizarre demonic activity. But listen, God set that to an end. God locked those demons away. It says they were reserved. They have now been reserved in chains. They're not good. You know, if you can think of the most monstrous, hideous demons, it's them. And they have been locked up. God judged them. God has judged angels. By the way, did you know that Jesus said that the days before he comes again will be just like the days before the flood, the days of Noah. You remember where he said that? There are so many things about the days of Noah that are frightening. But I'll tell you, one of the most troubling things that I find going on right now, scientifically, biologically, medically, is the way human beings are tinkering with the building blocks of life. The DNA. And there's talk about, you know, cloning human beings, engineering human beings in the test tube. If you were to clone a human being, let's say somebody clones you, does that clone of you have a soul? What is that thing? It's God who breathes life. All this work, engineering, manufacturing human life, God won't put up with that. When mankind starts getting into things like that, look out. I'm telling you, just like in the days of Noah, I think we are so close to the Lord's return. Because some of that activity, I believe, is going on. So what were the angels judged for? Well, autonomy. Arrogant self-rule. Satan was prideful. Tried to usurp God. These angels right here in verse 6 said, They did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. The idea is they had a place. God had put them in a certain place. They got out of that place. They said they wanted to do their own thing. They got out of the boundaries that God set for them. In other words, they rejected authority. They said, I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what apostates will try to get you to do. In fact, in verse 4, it says, The apostates turned the grace of our God into lewdness 
and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Apostates have a problem with authority. They deny the authority of God. They encourage self-worship. They encourage self-love. Do whatever you want. Live for yourself. I think of many of the New Age cults that teach, you know, there's a little spark of divinity in you. And all you have to do is fan that little spark. And it's going to grow into a flame. You're all godlike. That is the original lie of Satan in the Garden of Eden. Satan told Eve, you could be like God. We are not to be worshipers ourselves. We are accountable before the God who made us. And we need to get right with him and we should seek to obey him. God is to be the master. Don't let anybody tell you different. God will take care of you. You give your life to him. Trust him. He has good things in plan. So the angels, now the next one, Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah, the one of the most horrific stories that you find in all of Scripture, one of the worst cases of judgment. Sodom is mentioned throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, as the example of wickedness and judgment. What happened in Sodom? Well, did you know in the days of Abraham? The area of Sodom and Gomorrah was gorgeous. It was beautiful. In fact, you remember when Abraham and Lot, their, their tribe started growing and they had to split. And Abraham said, Lot, you choose which way you want to go and I'll take what's left. And you remember Lot chose the region of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says, Lot lifted his eyes, saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Think of that. Sodom and Gomorrah was a gorgeous place. It was like the garden of Eden. It was incredible. Ezekiel also gives us information about what it was like. This iniquity of your sister Sodom, she and her daughter had pride. But look, fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Listen to that. This was a city, this was a place that was opulent, affluent, gorgeous, beautiful, plenty of food. And all the people that lived there had an abundance of what? Idleness. Leisure, do whatever you want. Now they had no faith in God. And in all that idleness, they became very, very wicked. Ezekiel goes on to say, She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. But neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. They didn't take care of poor people. Didn't help them at all. And they were haughty. And they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Genesis 13 says, The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So the people of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, in this plush land, with all of their spare time, and their no faith in God, became extremely wicked. And it was a sexual wickedness. Verse 7 says, they had given themselves over to sexual immorality and they'd gone after strange flesh. 
So there was all types of sexual perversion in Sodom and Gomorrah. All kinds, an excess of it. And of course, one of the main sexual sins in Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality. There was rampant, militant homosexuality in that area. In fact, we get the word what? Sodomy from Sodom. So you remember the story. Two angels come to visit Abraham to tell them he's going to have a baby boy. Then after Abraham finds out that news, the angels leave and Abraham says, where are you going? And he said, we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to check this out because their sin is grave. And the idea is they're going to go find out and they're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember Abraham says, what if you find 50 righteous? And God says, if I find 50 righteous in that whole area, I'll spare them. The angels say that. Abraham goes, what if you find 45? I'll spare them. What if you find 40? I'll spare them. He's doing pretty good in increments of five, so then he moves to increments of ten. How about thirty? I'll spare the city if I find thirty righteous people. How about twenty? The angels say, I will spare the city if we find twenty righteous people. How about ten? And these angels said, we will spare the city if we can find ten righteous people. Ten godly people in that whole region. So they depart. They show up to Sodom. They go out into the plaza. Lot is there. And Lot finds the angels and says, hey, you know, night's starting to come down. We need to get out of the plaza. Why don't you come to my house? There's safety in my house. The angels are like, no, we'd like to stay in the plaza. No, come to my house. So the angels go to Lot's house, and we read these incredible words. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Can you believe that? A whole city, young and old, everyone, surrounded the city wanting to have homosexual gang rape of these two men. And by the way, it is interesting, it says that they, they sought sexual immorality and they sought strange flesh. They didn't know it. But they were seeking to have sex with angels. Again, a mix of this, just this crazy wickedness. So they surround the house. Lot goes out and says, nah, don't do that. You please don't do that. Take my virgin daughters. And this mob says, we don't want your virgin daughters. And they started to grab Lot. They were going to abuse Lot. The two angels grab Lot, bring him in the house, shut the door, strike the mob with blindness. Now you would think when you're struck with blindness that that's it. You're going to go home and you're going to try to find your house. But no, the the scripture says in their blindness they sought the door. They sought the door. They were still looking to find their way in that house. Extreme, immense, gross, sexual, demonic perversion. So the angels took Lot out. They got out of the city. And the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plains, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on that ground. That whole city was incinerated, judged. God judged them. You say, 
Well, God won't judge. God will judge. By the way, God is very patient. He said, we'll find ten. They couldn't find ten. And the ones that were even remotely righteous, Lot and his daughters, he got them out. So God is patient. But God will judge. Now it's interesting. In Israel, here's a picture. This is the Dead Sea. It's located kind of in the southern, central, eastern part, right there on the border with Jordan. It looks like this. We visited it many times. This area is the lowest point on earth. It's about about 1,500 feet below sea level. We've been there several times. This is the lowest spot on earth. And the Dead Sea, I've been there many times. It is, in fact, dead. Nothing lives in it. In fact, it's real oily. In fact, when you get in it, there's no way you could drown because you float. There's absolutely no way. It's just filled with oil and minerals. and Well, I'll tell you, you get in it and you know every scratch on your body. The salt and the sting. I mean, it is dead. Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities involved, that's where they were. At one point, that's where they existed. Now, you read the Old Testament record and you find out that with Sodom and Gomorrah, there were tar pits underneath. There were little oil pockets, little gas pockets And so a lot of Bible scholars believe that at this time of judgment, all that gas, all that oil suddenly discharged by their own pressure or an earthquake of some sort. The gas explodes, carrying high into the air masses of oil, which fall back in fiery rain and are so indistinguishable that they float a fire on water. It was by such an eruption of fire that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And I believe God's left testimony here. In the lowest point on earth, where some of the worst sin was ever committed, the judgment of God was poured out. God judged them radically. Now, why did God judge them? Sexual immorality, obviously. But it even goes deeper than that. The folks in Sodom and Gomorrah rebelled against God's order. They rebelled against God's creative order. When it comes to marriage, sex, men, women, boys, girls, God created an order to that. The Bible says he created us male and female. You're born male or you're born female. Men and women are to marry. The natural order is that there are boys and girls who become men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers. That's God's design. Mankind rebels against that. Satan deceives mankind. And that's what they were doing in Sodom. God God punishes that. Now, gang, I worry incredibly about our nation, don't you? I I worry incredibly about the state of the whole world. You know, there's something that that just haunts me in that passage by Ezekiel, the idea of abundance and idleness. I think that totally pegs America. So many people living in idleness. I, I think of Beverly Hills and all these. One person said, Sexual immorality is the eager companion of the affluent society. And according to Jude, those who gorge themselves 
without restraint, are headed towards God's punishment. And I think the United States of America has gorged itself, rebelling against God's order. The sexual perversion in our country Rampant adultery, multiple parties, sex clubs, sex parties, prostitution, pornography of the vilest sort. Militant, rampant homosexuality, transgenderism. Gender confusion. That is all against God's order, and that is Satan at work. And there will be lots of people that say, you're wrong. We, we become more enlightened. We're a culture now. We know what real love is. Listen, the Bible's... It's becoming comical. It's becoming insane. These personal pronouns... It's insanity. It's not enlightened. These different binaries, it's not enlightened. It's insanity. A man dresses as a woman and goes into a female restroom or a female uh, dressing area, locker room. How are we even talking about that? Have we lost our minds? A man dresses like a woman and decides to compete against other women in sports. Have we lost our minds? It is completely out of whack. And God will judge that. Gang, listen, God will judge that. You say, oh, God won't judge. Look what God did to Sodom. It's so important to understand that. Three stories. People of Israel judge for their unbelief. The demons judge for their arrogant self-rule. The angels, the sexual immorality, the rebellion against God's order. And so Jude says the exact same thing is going to happen to the apostates in your days. Verse 8, likewise, all these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Now that's describing the apostates in Jude's day. They're dreamers. In other words, they live in a dream world. It can also mean they have no sense of reality. Also, it could mean that they're, they're prophets. They, they have visions and dreams and they share their knowledge. But notice, they defile the flesh. Same thing. Back in the olden days. They reject authority. And they speak evil of dignitaries. These people want to rip you off. These people want to put you on a road. That leads to destruction and ultimately judgment. Don't let that happen to you. Jude says, contend for the faith. Stay in the faith. Remain in the faith. Now, I want to say something. I do want to say something about the whole homosexuality, LGBTQT thing. Because, I mean, you you know it's a big controversial thing. No Christian that I know, including me, hates homosexuals. Nobody. And don't you let anybody think that Christians hate homosexuals. And that we're totally against homosexuals. No. I believe homosexuality, transgenderism, is a sin. But it's one of many sins. I believe adultery is a sin. I believe drunkenness is a sin. I'm not a homophobe. 
I'm not a transgender-ophobe. You know what I am? I'm a sinophobe. I'm afraid of all sin. Because all sin separates you from God. All sin leads to horrific things in your life. So don't let them pigeonhole. Now, my only complaint here about this agenda, and please understand, man, do what you want. We don't have to celebrate it. Why do we have to celebrate it? Why do we care what you do in your bedroom? Why does it have to be in our face? Why do sports teams have to be forced to wear a rainbow badge? As Christians, we don't expect sports teams to have to wear a Bible badge. People have free will. They can choose whatever they want to do. But there will be judgment. And you can choose to go by the world standard or by God's standard. I'm, I'm, I'm going with God's word. Now, another thing about this agenda, it's so prevalent. And I got to just tell you, I know a lot of families that are struggling with this. Families where kids who grew up in the church have gotten caught up in things. Or people with sisters and friends. and it, I mean, it, you wouldn't believe how commonplace it is. And how distraught it can make a person feel. Listen, Satan has gone all out on this over the last 30 years. In the schools, in the universities, in the media, big players have paid big bucks lobbying media, government, everything to make it seem more prevalent and common than it really is. And a lot of young people in this younger generation have been completely ripped off and deceived. Now, you might be mad at a young person or angry at it, but listen, get mad at Satan, man. Look what he's done. And don't give up on that person. Don't give up on your family member. You keep praying for them. Pray. If they've been raised in the faith, it's going to come back. But you've got you to keep praying for them. But understand the madness of the situation and the widespread deception and how careful you need to be. Parents with smaller kids, right now, get on it. Watch out. Now, we've talked a lot about God as being a God of judgment, and he is, but he's also patient, and he's also a God of grace. He's a God of love. Why would he judge these things? Because these things destroy. God wants the best for you. He's a God of grace and love. I love this, this slide. We are all sinners by nature. And the wages of sin is death. And we are on that left side. We can't get to God. God's holy. He's perfect. But God in his love and grace sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for sins. And to rise again that third day. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you're walking across. You're walking across. You are saved. Every sin can be forgiven. The only unforgivable sin is rejecting Christ as Savior. That's it. And so we are told in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, that's hetero, sexual sin, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But watch this. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sin is taken away. God changes you. 
The human race is a wreck. A human being caught in sin is a wreck. And Satan seeks to wreck that person's life. But when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, says, you died for me, you loved me, I put my faith and trust in you. Jesus takes off the old rags, puts on the robes of righteousness upon you, saves you now and forever. And my friends, listen, seeks to give you a real life, abundant life, a fruitful, adventurous life. All of this garbage that we discussed tonight, and we discussed a lot of it, is a ploy of the devil to destroy people's lives. Both here and forever. Christ wants to keep you from that. And so he died on the cross to save you, and he'll be your Lord. And if you let him take control of your life, if you submit, If you keep to the faith, man, he's going to bless you. And he's going to use you. And he's going to do mighty things through your life. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, heavy words tonight. Lord, you have commanded us as your people to contend earnestly for the faith, to stay in the faith, to defend the faith. And so I pray we do that, even in a dark culture. Lord, I pray that you would give us great discernment. I pray that we would be those that share truth with love and tact. Not watering down the truth, but also not being disrespectful with the truth. Give us that balance. Father, I want to thank you tonight that you want the very best for each and every one of us. You want life abundant. Here now and forevermore. And if we would just submit to your ways, your order, your plan. I would pray, Lord, for anyone here this evening who is living in rebellion. I pray that they would humble themselves, repent, turn back to you, do what's right. Maybe you're here this evening and you never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. That is the only way to be saved. And look what God did. Look what God gave so that you could be saved. He gave his son. who died on the cross for you and rose again. There is salvation through faith in Jesus. He will save you. He'll transform you. All sin can be forgiven. All of it. Brand new start. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Right now. Just come clean with the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you right now. I surrender my life to you. I bow before you. I invite you to be my savior. Be my Lord. Be my master. Take over. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I receive you into my life. Clothe me with your robes of righteousness. Fill me with your spirit.
Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.